On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what, what your power and will, and will had decided before, beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands, hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. The band are going to lead us and we're going to sing. The reading is from Psalm uh, chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, head there. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Good evening. So, what is this series all about? The purpose of this series is that we will learn how to use the Psalms in prayer. So, it's got a very practical outcome. 
But I'm sure that as that psalm was read by David, that a lot of the words may have gone over your head. You may have thought, well, this must be one of the more difficult psalms. Why is Alistair starting here? The reason I'm starting here is because Angus started at Psalm 1 last week, and I'm here at Psalm 2. There's a benefit in consecutively going through. If we don't do that, we just avoid the difficult bits. Even though it's a difficult psalm to, to even take in, never mind pray, it's probably one of the, the most important psalms in the Bible and the psalm that is most often referred to in the New Testament to speak about Jesus. So how I'd like to unpack that for you tonight is, first of all, to explain about how it relates to Jesus. Because then it, it brings the psalm, suddenly it's not sort of 3,000 years ago, it's, it's only 2,000 years. But it's also right up to date because Jesus is living today and he is the one that we worship. He is the one in whom we, we, we live our lives. So first of all, how does it relate to Jesus? And secondly, I'm just going to quickly take you through the psalm and what the psalm is saying. And then finally, I'm going to show you how the early church prayed this psalm. Now, if you take Psalm 1, which last week was, was superb, the way that Angus unpacked that for us, it was all about how there's the wicked and the righteous. And let's not sit in the seat of mockers, the people who mock God, but we want to we be careful about where we align our lives. And they talked about the, the tree planted by the streams of water. Do you remember that last week? Beautiful imagery. And then it finishes with, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That first psalm is, we can, we can get hold of that. We can understand that. And then Psalm 3 next week, Oliver Velikot's going to preach on that. Psalm 3 is speaking to, to us very immediately and personally. It's got, it's got lines in it like, I lie down and sleep. I wake up for the Lord sustains me. I could pray that. We could all pray that, couldn't we? I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 3 are accessible. But the benefit of Psalm 2 is it takes us out of individual pietism, my personal relationship with God, and moves our perspective on a wider plane. So this week, our first minister has resigned, and there's going to be a new leader in Scotland. There's a war in Ukraine. There's a relief work going on in Turkey. There's the movement of, of China that Liz Truss is, is 
speaking out against China. There's the Northern Ireland Protocol. And to what extent do these issues come into our prayer life? Sometimes it's easier for us to, to pray about our own personal lives, but the Psalms won't let us get away with that. Because on Psalm 2, it's, it's taking us into the international realm of what the international leaders are thinking and doing. But there is a leader who is mentioned in Psalm 2, which is the king of Israel. And he's introduced in verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So this king is described as a son, but even in, in verses 1 and 2, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So this king of Israel is described as the, the anointed one and he's described as the son. So just quickly want to explain what these words mean. So when King David was appointed king by Samuel, you, you, you perhaps remember the story that he was the least likely to be chosen, but he was chosen, came in from the fields, and, and Samuel got a horn of oil and poured it on his head. He anointed him for a special task to be king of Israel. Anointing is also symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit because he had a special task to lead the people, but not just any leader, someone who was to represent God's ways to the people. But we know that, that David and all the kings that followed him were, were very imperfect. And that helps us to think, is, there a, is this referring to someone else? Secondly, we've got the term son. In verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said, you are my son, and today I have become your father. So in the New Testament, Jesus refers to this psalm. He's in discussions with the Pharisees. It's and he says, what do you think about the Messiah? The word Messiah means anointed one, Christ. We're doing an Alpha course at the moment, and one of the questions was, why are there so many names for Jesus? It's so confusing. And I said, I sympathize with you. Jesus, Christ, Christ means anointed one. The Hebrew is Messiah. So Jesus said to them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? 
And the Pharisees replied, the son of David. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That's a quotation from Psalm 110. Just have a quick look at that now. Psalm 110. Which along with Psalm 2 is, is a messianic psalm. A psalm speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then Jesus says, if, if David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one could say a word in reply. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And in Hebrews 1, verse 13, it says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So back to Psalm 2, it says, the, You are my son, today I have become your father. And the New Testament picks up on that and says that this is speaking about Jesus when he was risen from the dead. He then ascended back to the throne of God. So that's a very quick introduction to what a messianic psalm is. And you've got Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are two of the most famous ones that are quoted throughout the New Testament. Let's move to Psalm 2 now. And let's look first of all at the first three verses. And the first three verses are under the heading, The Kings Against the King. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles. So it begins with a question, why is everyone rebelling against God? It's a similar kind of question to Psalm 1, but it's on a, an international scale. And Israel, as from the very beginning of time, from the very beginning of, of when, April, when, when Israel was, was founded, there's just been this, the nation's of the earth seem to have something against Israel. It's always been the way. You could even go before the creation of, of Israel. You could go to Abraham and, and all the kings that were rising up against Abraham. 
You could think of, of Moses and when he was leading this, this people group through the desert and they were asking these nations, will you, will you let us pass through? And they said, no, we're going to fight you. And then when they came into the promised land, they had all these nations hostile on every side. But because the king is, is representing God's rule, it's, it's bigger than just Israel. It's, it's, it's also the world. And, and this, this opposition to, to the king takes on a, a whole new importance when we, when we think that this is referring to Jesus. The second section is God's response. So the, the nations are in are uproar. They're plotting against the king of Israel. And God's response, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, it's Jerusalem, my holy mountain. Now, God is not laughing at the suffering that takes place when there's conflict. Conflict is always really painful. God is not laughing at the the suffering of, of all the wars that take place. But God is laughing at the arrogance of human rulers. One of the things that people often say to me is, how do you pray for Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine? How do you pray for these huge sort of events, and it's sometimes we just feel completely paralyzed, completely helpless by, by these things that are, are taking place. And one of the things that, that we can pray is that God is in charge. God is in control. And that although we are anxious and intimidated by world events, God is not surprised because this has been happening from the beginning of time. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Surely the nations are a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. In Isaiah 41, All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Those who wage war against you will be nothing at all. So God's first response is not to be intimidated, not to be phased by this rebellion, by this waging war on His ways and His values. Because he's seen it all before. 
But what he says he's going to do is, in verse 6, he will install my king in Jerusalem. That's God's response to put his king there. And he says, you are my son, and today I have become your father. God's vocation, God's purpose for the king is to rule and reign according to his justice and his compassion. There were very strict laws for the kingship of Israel. But sadly, as the Old Testament shows us, there was disillusion and disappointment and failure in all the kings, including David, including Solomon, and we shouldn't hero worship any of these people. Yeah, they had a special purpose in God's plan, but it was God's grace that carried that purpose on. One of the most important scriptures is when David is is receiving from God promises about his future, his son. And that's where the promise of verse 7 comes from. It's actually a promise to Solomon. You are my son, and today I have become your father. But that promise dating back to to 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, actually speaks about an eternal kingship. Your throne will will last forever. Your throne will never… There will never cease to be someone on the throne. And the more that the language is used about David, the more you're thinking, this is far too great for David, this is speaking about someone else. So God will come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus who is the Son of God, of Father God. And He will call all the nations to account, that there'll come a time when when all the nations will come before Jesus Christ. And so this, this verse 9, it says, I will make the nations your inheritance. It's something that just doesn't make sense. It's way beyond anything that could be said of a human king like David in Israel. But it's exactly what the promise was to Abraham that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And the Gentile mission of the church, which starts with with Jesus saying on the mountaintop in Galilee, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me 
therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we read in, in, in Revelation that around the throne that there were people from every tribe and tongue, an international worship gathering as people come to put their trust in Jesus the Messiah. So we have this conspiracy, we have this rebellion. God's response is to, to speak about the king that he has installed in Jerusalem. But what he's saying about this king is far greater than anything that's relevant to David. It's all about Jesus. We know if we read the New Testament, the very first chapter is a genealogy. It's worth having a look at that. These genealogies are important. It begins with the family of Abraham, the one through whom all nations would be blessed, then the family of David. And then it talks about the birth of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And then finally, in verse 10, the kings of the earth are summoned. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss the Son. Kiss His Son or He will be angry. And your way will lead to destruction. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So be wise and be warned. Just think about Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. And he says, are you a king? Just think about that for a minute. In the light of Psalm 2, Pontius Pilate, with all the authority of, of Rome, with their military power, their financial power, and Jesus says, you only have authority because God has given you that authority. He says, are you a king, Jesus? My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate starts to get very uncomfortable because he realizes he is in the presence of, of a king that he can't understand. And we know that Rome conspired against the church, the Roman Empire, started with the crucifixion of Jesus. Now we turn to Acts chapter 4. This is how to pray this psalm. So the background, the background is that there's been a healing miracle. And the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish rulers, they are not happy. 
And they're saying to Peter and John, you just stop it. And if you do it again, we'll, we'll put you in prison. The church is aware of this. And it says that in verse 21, that after further threats, the Sanhedrin let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. He reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. So what is the shape of this prayer? There's two parts to the prayer. There's a prayer of thanksgiving, verses 24 to 28. And then there's the petition. So how do they give thanks to God in the light of this threat of imprisonment, this you better be silent, you better stop what you're doing as a church. Imagine if that happened to us, CCC here, we got a letter or maybe a visit from authority figures locally They said, we want you to stop gathering, we want you to stop telling people about Jesus. We, we had the open doors service recently, didn't we, where we learned that that is happening right across the world. And it happened in the early church here. Thankfully, that doesn't happen to us here in Inverness, but let's just use our imaginations because you never know. They began by reminding themselves how great God is. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He's the supreme ruler over the whole world. He created everything. And whenever we're intimidated by anybody or anything, we should remember that we are in relationship to the one who is Lord over all. And then they quote Psalm 2. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against His anointed one. They are receiving that from from Psalm 2, and they're saying, we can pray that into our situation. We are being threatened. We have been commanded by Jesus to tell others about him. And we are being told to stop. We are being intimidated. We are being threatened. The one who is asking us to do it is greater than the one that's asking us to stop. And even Peter and John say that to the authorities. How can we stop preaching when God has told us we've got to do this. So we're going to carry on doing it. And they took encouragement from Psalm 2 that, that the situation they were facing is the situation that God's people has always faced. 
And then they thank God that he's in control. They said, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, Lord, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That even the crucifixion of Jesus was not an accident, was not a, an unfortunate defeat. It was something that was planned by God to bring salvation to the world. And that even though Pontius Pilate thought he was so powerful when he sentenced Jesus to be flogged, and the religious rulers thought they were so powerful when they got Jesus killed, and Satan was so happy when that happened because he thought he'd defeated Jesus. But before Jesus went to the cross, in John 12, he said, Now the ruler of this world is cast out, and I, when I am lifted up on the cross, and when I am lifted up in resurrection and exaltation, I will draw all people to myself. So behind these human threats, there is Satan, the great adversary of the church. And what these believers are praying is the events of Jesus' crucifixion. God was even in control of that. So thank you, Lord, that you are great, that you rule over all. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're not intimidated. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control of events. Thank you that you are in charge. And when trouble comes into our lives, we would do well to remember that. And that sovereignty of God can bring us comfort and reassurance today just as it did in the first century as we take refuge under God's covering. And then, what did they ask? I'll tell you what they didn't pray. They didn't pray this. Get the Sanhedrin off our backs. Give us an alternative strategy, because this one is really hard. And please, can we give us a quieter life? They didn't pray that. But if we're honest, we might pray like that. Take this problem away. This is what they prayed instead. They said, verse 28, Verse 29, they said, consider their threats. Take note of who are opposing us, Lord, and help us to see that threat in the light of your great control and power and authority. 
They didn't say, get them off our backs. They said, help us to see what you see about how weak they really are. They're not powerful at all in the light of your great power. The second thing they said was, enable us to keep speaking out and not to be silent, to speak your word with great boldness. And then they said, Lord, do what only you can do, stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus, the King. And what was the result? That the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke the word, word, word of God boldly. So what we've done tonight is we've, we've started with this quite unfamiliar psalm to many of us, with quite a, quite a lot of unfamiliar words. And we've, we've seen that understanding how the kingship of Israel is quite limited, but it's pointing towards that greater king, the king of all the earth, Jesus Christ. And we've seen that the situation that the early church faced was one of international politics and military power against the church and persecution. And although we may find it hard to pray that tomorrow morning in Inverness, perhaps we could pray that for the believers in North Korea. Perhaps we could pray that for believers in Russia or in China. And that's how we can pray the Psalms, because it's not all about me and my personal relationship with God. It's about praying for all the saints. The most important scripture, perhaps, in the New Testament about battle and opposition is Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God and stand in His mighty power. And how does that scripture finish? And it says, pray in the Spirit, in all, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep on praying for all the saints. And who are all the saints? If you take the world tonight, I don't know what the statistic is, but a vast number of them are experiencing threats. Christians in Nigeria, election happening as we speak. There's an election going on in Nigeria. And, it, and uh, there, is, there was riots last time. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous place. Churches being burnt down. Christians getting killed. There are more Christians killed in Nigeria than the rest of the world put together. So how do we pray what resources do we have in Scripture? We have some too. Let's pray.
Father God, we want to thank you for the riches of your word. We thank you that you've given us inspiration to know how to pray in all the circumstances of life, not only for ourselves, but for the nation in which we live and across the world too. We want to thank you tonight that although the earth is in uproar and nations rage against nations, and it seems, Lord, that it's out of control, we thank you that you are seated on the throne. We thank you that you said to take heart that you have overcome this world and that you will come back and bring in your justice and peace and judgment too, Lord. Help us to be wise and to be warned and to bow the knee before the King of Kings. In Jesus' name.